Amen. Let us pray. Indeed, God, may we continue to praise you throughout the week and not just on Sunday. In our hearts and with our lips, God, this opportunity arises. Help us, Lord, especially this evening to focus upon you, to be blessed by the preaching of your word and the giving of the prayers and the praises to your name on high. We ask, God, that we would be equipped uh, through the means of grace you've given us this evening, God, to carry on with our task this week with joy in our hearts. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 136.
Amen. Let us pray. Indeed, God, as we sing that psalm, we feel at times, I suppose, Lord, uh, that we ourselves and our churches and our nation, God, are going through a difficult time of your judgment upon us. We pray through the blood of Christ Jesus that any sins that have been revealed through such difficult times, Lord, would be laid at the foot of the cross, and anything else, God, we would recognize uh, as part of your providence and submit as, Lord, we are called and to carry on in our Christian life to do what we can. Lord, to help and encourage one another and to sustain ourselves during these times. We are thankful indeed, God Almighty, that you have given us rain these days through this hot summer, and uh, food, and clothing, and shelter, God Almighty, and that we have these things in more or less abundance, although we do indeed pray for more rain and moisture, God, as our population grows and there's more water restrictions. Help us, we pray to that end, Lord, to persevere and do what we can do our part. We pray and thank you, Lord, again also for protection and security that you've given us, God, uh, not only in this nation, but in particular in our local communities, Lord. We pray for continued safety and uh, protection over us. We pray and ask that we would use the means you've given us so that we can have the food and the clothing and shelter and protection, God, through the means of providence that you've given us in the infinite wisdom. Our Lord and Savior, we pray not only for these things, and thankful indeed, God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray for our families, we pray for our friends, we ask God for our couples and singles, Lord, that you would be with them, that they would persevere, especially the youth, Lord, and that they would stay strong and courageous in the fear, Lord, and the trust of you, and not man. We pray for our families, for husbands to lead, and to love their wives, God, and to be considerate who they are, and for the wives that submit to their husbands, and show love to them, and that they together, Lord, if they have kids, do admonish and protect their kids and instruct them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. For our friends, God, and other extended family members, Lord, who are not Christians for their salvation, that you would open their hearts. Uh, Lord, you give us wisdom and patience in dealing with them and talking with them and living with them, Lord. We know it can be hard at times and rejoicing in those who are Christians, even if we have differences in the Bible and doctrine and in practice, that we would exercise the fruit of the Spirit and have long-suffering and love towards them as well and not use every opportunity uh, to make a, a debate about the Bible. But at the same time, God, uh, to not lose our conviction, above all, in your truth, Lord. Help us, we pray, to be an example to them and they to us, uh, Lord. And again, to love and be considerate towards our friends and family members who are not Christians. Our God and Savior, we ask that you would continue to be with uh, us in our old age and as we go along this life. God, that you have so deigned the side of eternity uh, that we would accept where we are and to do what we can to change what we are called to change, Lord, so that we can be more obedient to you and to be more useful in your kingdom. And so we pray for the youth among us, God, and that they would use their strength and energy uh, to be helpful in the kingdom of God, to, uh, to be there to support those around them, certainly to help their family, God, as best they can, to uh, lend their strength, Lord, to their weakness. We pray the same inside the church. And God, that they would learn to listen and learn patience and get much experience from others, Lord, again, from their family to the extent that they have much there. And Lord, and from the rest of the church, as we are the body and the family of Christ, that you have brought us together here at Providence and elsewhere, Lord, so that we can lend, so we can steward our experience, uh, our knowledge, and to give it, Lord, to uh, husband it and to gather it, but also to bring it out liberally to those in need, we think especially of the youth and the children, God, so they can learn to avoid the problems that we went through ourselves. Help us, we pray, God. Help them especially, as they are the rising generation, and that they would be 
strong in the Lord, and that they would know the times and seasons which we find ourselves in, God, and stay close to your word so that as they get older and have more influence and strength in society and in the church, that they would stand for right. We pray, God, for the rest of us, uh, middle and older age, whatever age we are, which is older than young, uh, that we would use our experience, Lord, but at the same time that we would also use the youth and their energy, God, and perhaps creativity they have for us and insight and advice, Lord, that uh, we would take it for the edification of our family, ourselves, and our church, God Almighty, that we would merge all that you've given us in the body of Christ to take our strength to each other's weakness and so that we can be a stronger church in many ways and opportunities and stewardship and time and abilities. We ask and pray, God, for continued growth of our church, both numerically and spiritually, and that we would be able to give an answer of the hope that is within us, God Almighty, that we would not be discouraged and that we'd be encouraged, in fact, this Lord's Day to carry on to do our duties one day at a time throughout this week as mothers, as fathers, as husbands, as wives, as children who are preparing for school. And God, uh, the rest of us who go to work, and that we would do these things as unto the Lord, to glorify your name in all that we do, God, and to always put you first. We pray these things for your glorious name's sake. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Let us rise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Again, God Almighty, we are grateful for what you've given us and ask, Lord, that they would be used mightily in your kingdom, these tithes and offerings. And you would bless those who have given them, God, not for their sake, but for your sake, Lord, and for the sake of the kingdom, so that we can give more and can be used wisely, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let us turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There's a lot going on in the book of Corinthians. So I will drill down in verse 31, which is a sub-theme in Corinthians, and of course uh, in the writings of Paul, glorifying God. He gives us as a reason many times. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 31. As it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty Father above, we indeed glory in you. Glory in your Son and your Holy Spirit and the great redemption wrought in history and time and in our lives right now, God Almighty. We pray and ask, Lord, as we go through the sermon, through these words and understanding how they impact our life and guide and direct us, May we be strengthened and encouraged, Lord, to continue to do what we do naturally, Lord, as Christians, although it ebbs and flows because of sin and temptation around us, God, to glorify you in all that we do. Amen. To glorify God is the chief goal of Christians. 
We know this in our bones, even if we're not told it from our pulpits. And we certainly are not told this from those outside the church. They eh, will say anything but glorify God. In fact, they will urge us to curse God. Everywhere we turn, people want to glorify something, however. It's the state of man. To honor, to exalt, to pay homage to anything and anyone other than God Almighty, Father of creation, the Lord of life. And in the midst of tribulations, hardships, and trials, it can be easy to lose sight of this glorious vision. The things of this world are real and important, to be sure. It should be handled aright in accordance to God's word. Trials and heartaches are not trivial matters. Nevertheless, they can overwhelm us. But returning to our first and greatest goal in life can help alleviate our troubled souls, brothers and sisters. Let us learn to focus and relearn the greatness of our God and the high and lofty purpose of glorifying Him and enjoying Him forever. So the three points we have here, the first one is glorifying God, what that is. You should all know where this is going. Catechism question number one, shorter catechism question. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? Lots of false answers for the world, those wedded to the world, to create a lasting legacy, some think, to feel good, others think, to glorify ourselves, still others. They think this is the chief end of man. To, to do good to our neighbors. That sounds lofty, right? But that's not the chief end of man. The highest and most loftiest end of man. This is apparently partly what the Christians at the, Corinth, at the Church of Corinth were doing. The churches there at Corinth. They bragged about their baptisms and preachers. They were what? Glorifying in who preached to them and who baptized them. I am a Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm Apollos. Look at me. Who are you? I don't know who you are. Who baptized you? This kind of arrogant attitude going on in the church, priding themselves over other Christians. It's quite astounding, but then I suppose if we slow down and think about it, it still goes on in different sundry forms today. Paul tells them, all such boasting is wrong. There is only one thing to boast in. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. None of this prideful glorying in the things of this world. So back to the question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. And so I've arranged these points from the questions of the catechism. It mentions glorifying God right at the beginning. It's question one. And then question two, what is the rule? And then the first commandment talks about glorifying God. As it unpacks the first commandment in the larger catechism, it mentions glorifying God. So I put that there as number three, specifically our duty. Not just the rule, but the rule and the duty we have in the third point. Man's chief end is to glorify God. I want to say first, negatively, to note the chief end does not mean the only end. People talk this way in Christian circles. It's confusing. It's unhelpful. As though, as we heard in Sunday school class, oh, you got married? What's your problem? You idolizing marriage? Uh, what? I can't marry God. I can't marry another, you know, Christian and still have glorifying God. Of course I can. You can do both. You have other means, other goals, other purposes in life, but they're all what? Subservient to that great end and that great goal, which is to glorify God, to put Him first, to magnify Him, to exalt His name forever. So when it says the chief end 
of man is to glorify God. End means goal or purpose. Specifically here, of course, the chief end is the great goal of our entire existence. No matter what we do, where we are, what happens to us, God is always first. That's the point. We can love and honor our neighbors as well as our parents. We can respect our coworkers as well as strangers at the mall. Yet the end goal of love, honor, respect towards one another is prioritized. You love your parents more than strangers. You love your coworkers and respect them more than a stranger at the mall. And you love your wife more than your coworkers. You can do all of that, but it's a matter of order, isn't it? And same with God. God is the chief, the greatest of all these. Everything's ordered by God and below him and beneath him. That's the point. They are subservient to that greater end. We should love and honor God more than anyone or anything else. All other ends, goals, and purposes in life. Getting up in the morning is a purpose. Going to work is a purpose. Taking care of my family is an end. Saving up money for retirement is a goal. Those are all lofty and fine goals, but they're subservient to God. It should be done in his way. That gets us to the second and third points, right? What role are we to glorify God? And what does that duty look like in particular? And so we love and honor our parents. And we respect our coworkers and even strangers. We at least treat them with dignity. All these, nevertheless, are subservient to God Almighty. What is it to glorify God? It's a very broad Word, it covers everything in life, because it's everything in life can be used to glorify or not glorify God, to magnify or to lift him up. The Old Testament word I find very helpful in in explaining what this word is. We have a Greek word, but the Old Testament word is weighty. It's often translated just weighty, something of weight. And it seems to fit then from the language we have in English, at least the idiom I grew up with, when someone speaks and they have weighty words, right? You give them respect. They have credentials. When they speak, people listen. And so it is with our God and Savior. He is so weighty and so significant and so important. When he speaks, the whole universe must stop and listen. His words are weighty words indeed. And our Heavenly Father, however, has not left us in the dark about glorifying Him, honoring Him, respecting Him, magnifying Him. These are all different ways in which we can give due weight, due honor and respect to God Almighty. There are many reasons to glorify God. Many and sundry reasons. I'll give a few of them. He's the creator of all things. The Father Creator, as I said at the beginning. Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. We would not be here, brothers and sisters, if God ceased to will our existence. He, he, he keeps us here. We exist because of him, not because of our parents, not because of the air. Sure, the air is there, we know as a secondary means, but the air wouldn't exist without God. The whole... <laughs> interconnection that we have of life and of breath and of eating and drinking and sleeping would fall to nothing, to pieces, without God. That's the point. For that, we should glorify him, we should honor him, we should respect him, we should follow him. 
He is the source of existence. Romans 11.36, For of Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To whom be what? Glory forever. Amen. This is before God has redeemed us, brothers and sisters. He is worthy of due honor and praise and glory, exaltation and respect. All these are different ways of describing what it means to glorify God. He's unique and wonderful. Psalm 86, 8. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you. O Lord, it shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. I can't help but think of the great artwork of the Rembrandt, Michelangelo, statues, and Sistine Chapel, and everything else. That's beautiful. I wanted to be an artist when I was a young man. My mother was a professional graphic artist. And I looked at that stuff. I said, that's, that's great stuff. But it's Picasso compared to God's creation. <laughs> it's just an inkblot on the wall of modernity, modern art, compared to the glories and the wonderfulness of our God. Among God, there's none like you, nor are there any works like your works. Rembrandt is baby gibberish and scribble and scrolling on a canvas compared to creation. We have a collection of pictures, uh, Bing which is Microsoft, so this is an endorsement. I didn't get paid for this, but uh, you can get a desktop little app, very easy, very light, and it runs through all these different pictures. A lot of them are scenery. Some of them are animals. A lot of them are scenery. Beautiful scenery. 1.4, 4K scenery on our TV. Just sits there and just flips through them. And just look at that and see the wonders of God's creation. At least a snapshot of it. That's our God, and that's why he's worthy to be glorified. He delivered us. And is with us, Isaiah 60, 21. Also your people shall all be righteous, and they shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. God saved us, and he redeemed us, and made us righteous in Christ, that he may be glorified. He purchased us. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 and 31, verse 31. For you were bought at a price, therefore, what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. These are reasons that we ought to magnify him and give his word and who he is, his person, the greatest weight of all weights. The second point, the rule to glorify God. So question one was, what is the chief end of man? The second question is, what rule hath God given to direct us and how we may glorify and enjoy him? What's the rule? We know those outside the church have many rules. So here we have the false answers, like before. So-called science, they don't put it in this place and make it godlike. Totalitarians like North Korea, where they literally worship that dictator. Often in America, it's whatever you feel is the rule of how you can glorify God. Even in the church, unfortunately, whatever social pressure is upon people, it varies all over the map. Even those in the church don't agree on how to glorify God. Many, as we heard this morning, believe in tradition, and so they have the tradition of playing down the family, for example, and uplifting the priesthood. Feelings, which come and go, that's their rule, how to glorify God. Vague ideas and 
hand waving, verbal hand waving. I'm glorifying God. What I'm doing? Well, how do you know this is glorifying God? It just, you know, it just it just works out. And I read it somewhere in the Bible. Um, it feels like I'm glorifying God. Glorifying God, as a side note, is often you used as a shorthand to I want to do what I'm doing, and I'm justifying it by saying it glorifies God. What I'm doing here glorifies God. Does it? Without giving any rule, why what they are doing glorifies God? My worship of God with a rock concert and trapeze artists is okay because it glorifies God. You're like, oh, okay, right. It's just a rubber stamp to use that phrase, right? So you need a rule to tell you what does it look like? What exactly does it? So we're drilling down in these three points to the rule of what it means to glorify God. And that's why he gave us the Bible, the Word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Not tradition, not feelings, not whatever looks good and happens to conveniently be acceptable to society and culture around us. Although it may happen to be that way, because God's way is wonderful. Matthew nineteen four through 5 and he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? They use that as a proof text in the Shorter Catechism. And I've mentioned this before, and I'll say it again. It's perhaps a good exercise for you. Read through the Shorter Catechism in the year or so. And look at the text that they use. And it's cited per section of the answer. It's not just the entire answer has this, uh, but mine shows the first clause or phrase has the footnote, next phrase has the footnote, and you'll see it's in order. They use Matthew 19, 4 through 5, because Jesus answers them and says, have you not read? Is Jesus Christ not God? Why doesn't he simply say, I have told you? He does say that elsewhere. But here he goes, what? To the word of God. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Luke 24, 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus, he, expounded to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Again, God Almighty in the flesh goes to the Bible to establish the truth, to establish his word, to establish his ministry. Miracles, yes, but they come and go. You have miracles all the time, but the word of God always and yes. Go to the word of God, brothers and sisters. Second Peter 3, 2, uh, well, I went to fifteen sixteen. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, Peter writes, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. <clears throat> and so it's not just the Old Testament, but even the commandment of us, the apostles, what, who represent Christ and wrote these letters. It's the New Testament as well. The entirety of the Word of God directs us how we may glorify Him. Isaiah 8.20, the classic Old Testament text, when Isaiah yells, cries out to the Old Testament church, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. That is, there is no truth and revelation and understanding Christian life unless we have the guidance of his word, which is light unto our feet, a lamp, Psalm 119. What rule has God given us that we may glorify him? The word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify him and enjoy him forever. And so that leads us to the third point, the duty to glorify God. 
Not just the rule, not just what it is, but the duty in particular. Question 104 of the larger catechism in this case. 104. What are the duties required in the first commandment? It's a long list. They have a longer list than other parts of the commandments. The duties required in the first commandment are the knowing and acknowledging of God to be our only true God and our God. Okay? That's, I mean, that's number one about a Christian. What's a Christian? A follower of Jesus, a follower of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's our only God, the one God. And we confess Him before men in our baptism and in our life. That's glorifying Him. That's the first step. That's foundational to everything else. And it continues to worship and glorify Him accordingly. And then rattles off four or five lines of what glorifying God looks like. I won't go through all that. I'm going to talk about number one here. The number one duty found in the first table on the first commandment is claiming God is your God. That certainly glorifies him. Anything else would not glorify him. How can you be a Christian and say, I don't know about God, I have questions about him. People do that. Not in our circles, to be sure, not in conservative circles, but in the liberals, they run around saying, I believe in God, but I'm quite sure it's the God of the Bible, and doubt is a good thing, and let's, let's, let's marinate in our doubt for a while and make it look intelligent and sound smart. That's what they do. No, a thousand times no. First Chronicles 28.9. 1 Chronicles 28.9. 28, As for you, my son Solomon... Right? God speaking to Solomon. Know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. This is what we are all called to do, which is to be loyal to God. That is, he is our Lord and master with a willing mind. Not against us, but because we want to do it. And that's what Christians do. That's how we glorify God. That's the first step to glorifying Him. And of course, that can only be ascertained by you. It's not our duty as a session to find out, are you really, really saved? Can I find what's hidden there somehow? But to exhort, to honor, and to listen, to evaluate, and trust God. So that's the first duty is to confess Christ in our hearts and ultimately with our mouths and our lives. But there's more, of course. The Catechism explains, as I said, it says to uh, knowing and acknowledging God to be our only, to be our true God and our God, and to worship and glorify Him, to worship and glorify Him accordingly by, that's the preposition, thinking, meditating, remembering, Highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing of him, believing him, trusting, hoping, delighting, rejoicing in him, being zealous for him, calling upon him, giving all praise and thanks, yielding all obedience and submission to him with the whole man being careful in all things to please him, and sorrowful when in anything he is offended, and walking humbly with him. No, I will not go through all that. <laughs> That's a lot. 
That's a lot. And they're not, they could have added more to it. In other words, it's all of life, both internal, the internal man, and external, the things that you do. What people don't see in your heart, what people see outside. All of that. The choosing, the loving, the rejoicing, the thinking, the yielding, the zealousness, the trusting, the adoring, all that are ways by which we honor, glorify, and magnify, and lift his name on high. Or as Paul states elsewhere, much simpler than just quoting the catechism, I would urge you to quote here in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So we were here in 1 Corinthians 1.31, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It's a broad proposition. Paul gives a little more meat in chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the highest calling of the Christian. And it's not a vagary. That's why I went down here to the rule, which is the word of God, and more specifically, the first commandment, and by implication, the rest of the commandments. Because again, it's easy to talk about, I'm glorifying God, what does it mean to glorify God, as an abstraction. It's very detailed in one sense. Ten Commandments gives us a summary of what that is. You cannot honor, adore, choose, love, delight, rejoice, zealous, praise Him, yield all obedience, and be careful in things to please Him, and be sorrowful when He is offended if we know not the law of God. Then, of course, if we know, have not the gospel in our hearts. If we do not live a life of repentance and faith, that glorifies Him. Brothers and sisters, Paul gives this in verse 31. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He unpacks it in chapter 10 a little bit. And whatever, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you drink, whether you eat, whether you work, whether you sleep, whether you talk, whether you're silent. And it begins in the heart. And it works its way out in our actions, ultimately. Yes, they falter. We are sorrowful in anything that he has offended, to be sure. And it's covered, as we heard this morning, by the blood of Christ Jesus, as he is our intercessor, even right now. But this, brothers and sisters, this sermon is here to encourage you that this should be, in this day and age, and always, in every age, our heart song to glorify God in all that we do. To put him and his will and his desires before our own, as shown to us in the word of God, to follow him all the days of our lives, no matter what others may do or not do, tempt us and redirect us somehow, some way. Let us, let us pray this as our heart song to be sure. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, God Almighty, for giving us your word, not leaving us in the dark of what it means to glorify your name. And in the first commandment where we put you first and acknowledge you as our God, our Lord and our Master, that we will follow to the ends of the earth and that all we do to worship and glorify you in our loving and our choosing and our delighting and our rejoicing and our thanking and our fearing and our desiring, God, help us to mold more in the image of Christ Jesus that whatever we eat or drink and whatever we do, we would do it all to the glory of God. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing to the glory of our Lord and Savior, hymn 239.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be upon you all. Amen.